Get ready to step into scripture with Tina. Hey everyone, welcome to Step Into Scripture. My name is Tina. I am a pastor's wife and a mom of seven. Alongside my husband, Matt, I've committed my life to serving King Jesus as a church planter, a Bible teacher, an author, and an advocate for all-in family ministry. I'm passionate about making Christ and His church famous and about helping people develop a commitment to reading God's whole word. Mm -hmm. And that is the point of this podcast, to point people toward that very thing. So in this season, season two, we are answering questions that are submitted by listeners and viewers. And our goal here in answering questions is always to find the answers only in the word of God, right? to stick in scripture. So the question that we're going to take on today um, we'll have many interpretations mm-hmm. based on who you ask, but like we always do, we're going to take the Word of God for what it says, and we're going to do our very best to come up with biblical answers yeah. rather than cultural answers sure. or denominational answers. We just want to know what the Bible says. So this week's question is, what does it mean to speak in tongues? All right. Now, I want to mention briefly that we have addressed miraculous spiritual gifts on this podcast recently in season two, episode 12. That was an episode titled, What is God's Will for My Life? Right. And part of that question the listener asked was, how do I know I'm using the gifts I've been given to accomplish God's will in my life? Right. So we did dig a little bit into that there, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. But I'm going to just do a quick recap of what we found to be true in Scripture about miraculous spiritual gifts in that episode. Number one, we noted that miraculous spiritual gifts, such as those listed in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10, were given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, according to Acts 8, 18. Mm -hmm. That's how these gifts were received. Further, an apostle is defined in Scripture. Peter told us in Acts chapter 1 what the qualifications for an apostle were, and an apostle's appointment was confirmed by miraculous spiritual gifts according to 2 Corinthians 12, 12. And based on the biblical definition of an apostle and on the biblical confirmation of the appointment of an apostle, no one alive today is a biblically defined apostle. Correct. So that's part of our foundation. And finally, we noted in that same section of Scripture where Paul talks about these miraculous spiritual gifts, he also taught that the miraculous spiritual gifts that were given specifically for the establishment of the church and the initial spread of the gospel throughout the world, those gifts would come to an end. Right. And the gifts that would remain, Mm -hmm. the ones that we should seek after, the ones that are normative for the church today, are faith hope, and love. Yes. So that's the foundation we laid in episode 12 of this season. And now with that biblical foundation, that teaching from the Apostle Paul, who had these miraculous spiritual gifts about these miraculous spiritual gifts, Stacey, um, will you go ahead and introduce yourself, and let's talk specifically about the miraculous spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. Sure. So I'm so excited to get to talk about this. I feel like this topic is certainly relevant today and something that you and I have walked through several times along our journey. Uh, my name is Stacy Vines. Uh, alongside my husband, we are small business owners and nonprofit starters here in our community. We're also a plant family, a church plant family here at Ecclesia, and reading God's Word from start to finish has been um, a, an incredible highlight in my life. Many seasons of my life are marked by uh, journeys from start to finish through the Bible. So being a part of this feels like I'm sitting right at home. And this particular conversation is something that Tina and I have talked about for many yeah. years. So I'm excited to bring you guys into an ongoing conversation that she and I have had now. So just to get us started, we want to define uh, tongues because this, I think, and I think you agree, is kind of where this starts to get a little tricky in how we look at this, or maybe we we make this a hands-off conversation. Uh, But we just want to go ahead, remove the mystical uh, fog around this, and define it as the Bible defines it. So in the New Testament, these are not mystical things. 
They're just words, so we're going to define them. Uh, we see these Greek words that we interpret to the word, the English word, tongues, and we'll see what these two are. We have dialectos, which is interpreted into languages, and then we have glossa, interpreted into tongue or and language. So these two Greek words are used interchangeably when they show up in the New Testament. So when we say speaking in tongues, we aren't talking about anything mystical or weird or as I call hoodoo voodoo. Uh, we are basically saying and simply saying as the Bible does, speaking in languages like what we're doing right here. Right. Right now, we are speaking in the English language. So here is where it's not magical, not mystical, but it is miraculous where we find it in the New Testament. It is tied to a miraculous gift of God. Speaking in tongues was the ability to communicate in a language that you had not been previously trained in. Uh, I have never been trained to speak in another language. I only know how to speak English. So if I started speaking speaking fluently in German or Spanish or in French right here now on this podcast, that would be a manifestation of a miraculous gift of tongues or gift of language. Now, just like everything else that we have talked about on this podcast and everything that we read in scripture, everything is purposed for God's glory. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is unintentional with God. And this is no different. So if we just kind of remove the mystical fog, go ahead and determine and agree that this is something that was purposed, then I think the the reality that we find in scripture will uh, find a place in our heart and it won't be something that we attempt to reject or uh, rebel against. So if you've Uh, heard a cultural or a denominational explanation of tongues, you may think of something different than what we've just walked through. But as Tina said, there are varied opinions on this topic, right? So maybe you have a a different opinion than what we've just laid out. Please just buckle in and walk through, step through this scripture with us, because I promise we are going to follow only the line that scripture lays out. um, And it will be a blessing to you if you hold on. So in context, As we seek out these answers, we're going to stay in Scripture. We're going to look at uh, the initiation of this gift in the New Testament. Uh, But first, as always, we have to lay some Old Testament framework and groundwork because, again, everything in the New Testament is just the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Um, It is the Old Testament revealed that was once concealed. So we're going to start in one of my favorite Old Testament books, the book of Genesis. We're going to hit chapter 11, verses 1 to 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their languages so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That's why it's called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. So this is our Old Testament groundwork. This is the, the God has uh, redeemed the world. Mm-hmm. They are supposed to scatter. He's redeemed the world through the flood. They're supposed to go fill the earth, multiply, and, and rule over the earth. But they didn't do that. They come to this place in Shinar, and instead they come up with a plan uh, to make a city for themselves and a name for themselves. And that is what the sin is in this account, in the foundation that we're laying. The sin that they perpetrated against God was that they refused to fill the earth as God had commanded them back in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 9. And so what we want to hold on to, though, is what, what God said. He says, if as one people speak in the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So in response, God confuses their language. And here we have now languages that we all speak. So after God blessed them, 
sent them out to be fruitful and multiply. They, they broke his command to fill the earth. And then in acting in pride, they decided to make a name for themselves. And Tina, just in this foundation, in the groundwork we're laying, we can relate yeah. to them acting in pride and then God needing to respond to our pride. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 29, that no one may boast before him. Instead, we are supposed to be bearing God's image and reflecting God's glory according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And so instead of following what God had given them to do, they rebelled, acted in pride and arrogance, and this was a slap in the face to the Creator. But so as, as consequence, God came down, He took a look at what they were doing, and He says, if as one people speak in the same language they have done this, nothing they do, nothing that they plan to do will be impossible for them. And that is very true. It's a good truth for us to hold on to today. So as our groundwork, getting us into this place of answering the question, what does it mean to speak in tongues? We're going to start off with a truth about God. If everything that God says is true, Mm -hmm. then even this that he says in their rebellion, if they have done this because they are speaking the same language, then nothing they plan to do would be impossible for them. Then that's true nothing that they would have decided to do would have been impossible. So in his response, he comes and confuses their language. The beautiful thing about God's word is he doesn't just leave it undone. He doesn't leave them scattered. And so you're going to take us through the New Testament where God uh, just ties the perfect bow of restoration on their scattering. Yeah, we often say here we like to connect Old Testament to New Testament, Mm -hmm. recognize those connections. So maybe... In your Bible, out beside Genesis 11, you want to make a note and point yourself toward Acts chapter 2. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 11, moving into the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. (laughs) Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came, came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Mm -hmm. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own language being spoken. Mm -hmm. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Mm -hmm. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in Mm -hmm. our own tongues. Now this is very interesting because Acts chapter 2 is a complete reversal of what we just read in Genesis chapter 11, right? right? In the Old Testament, like you just said, God said nothing would be impossible to a people who were acting as one and speaking the same language. And so when people use that unity of purpose and that clarity in their communication to rebel against God, then He miraculously confused their language. Right. But now in the New Testament, here God is ready to establish this church that Jesus has just recently died and resurrected to redeem and to build. Mm -hmm. His Spirit comes on this group of people who are gathered with a unity of purpose. Right. Right. They're all in Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost or what we knew in the Old Testament as the Feast of Weeks. Right. And now with a unity of purpose, He gives them clarity of communication. And He synthesizes the languages and why. Because with unity of purpose and with clarity of communication, yes. nothing would be impossible for That's them. That's what he said. That's what he said at Babel. And this group of people who experienced this was indeed about to accomplish yes. the impossible. Yes. Because from 12 apostles and 120 believers, plus what comes from this event, 3,000 new believers mm-hmm. baptized on the day of Pentecost, of movement was mm-hmm. birthed that was going to eternally change the entire world. Yeah. A particular gift that the Holy Spirit enabled in them for that purpose was that they could all miraculously speak in languages they hadn't previously been trained to speak. And the purpose of speaking those languages was to spread the gospel and establish the church. Right. So don't miss this reversal. 
when clear communication was used as an affront to God, yes. he confused the languages. Right. But when clear communication was used to glorify God, mm-hmm. he clarified the languages. That's right. Now, I want you to hold on to that for a minute, and we're going to quickly detour to Revelation chapter 12, all right? So the book of Revelation, like we've discussed in season one of this podcast, the book of Job, right? has a chiastic structure. So this mm-hmm. was a Hebrew literary device. Um, it's described in my book, Step into Scripture on day 15. And in short, it shows up in the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures in sections where themes from the first part of a narrative or a book are repeated in the second part of a book, and they point toward the center in a process called reverse symmetry. Right. And the center point is the climax. Mm-hmm. So there's this progression of thought that moves outward from the climax, and the statements at the top and the bottom balance each other mm-hmm. in an inversion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so just as a very quick example of this, in the book of Revelation, it begins with a prologue. It ends with an epilogue. Right. It has seven epistles and seven seals at the beginning. It has seven bowls and seven angels at the end. Right. It has 144,000 saints with seven trumpets at the beginning. It has 144,000 saints and seven angels at the end. Right. So I'm just giving you an example of how this progression moves outward in a chiastic structure. So... With that in mind, the climactic center Mm -hmm. of the book of Revelation is chapter 12, which describes Christ's victory over sin and death. Right. So just like we talked about in season one in our episode about, I need to know the most important things first. Yeah. Just like Christ's work is the centerpiece of all of human history, of all humanity, of the entire Bible, it's also the focal point in the book of Revelation. All right. So... We're going to just read Revelation chapter 12 and hang with us because this is going to relate to God's plan for languages or speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages, but we need to recognize this. So I'm going to just read the chapter, Revelation 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, there's one character in this narrative, Mm -hmm. with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. Right. There's our second character with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Mm -hmm. She gave birth to a son, a male child. Here's the third character in this narrative Mm -hmm. who will rule all nations with an iron scepter And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Mm -hmm. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the Mm -hmm. salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice you heavens and all who dwell in them, but woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and to sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river the dragon spewed out of his mouth. (laughs) Then the great dragon, enraged at the woman, went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. 
So what in the world is going on here? Well, first of all, this is the climactic center of the book of Revelation, chapter 12, and it's the same climactic center of the entire Bible, right? And of all of human history. Yes. It is the saving work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. So we met three characters in that account. Mm -hmm. First, the woman. Mm -hmm. The woman, she is the remnant. This woman represents the remnant of Israel who was... Uh, preserved through Babylonian captivity and then through Grecian and Roman domination over the Jews, that lineage who brought about the Messiah that Mm -hmm. we've been tracing all through this podcast, right? right? That remnant is Israel and her offspring, that's the church. Right. Those who we read, keep God's Mm -hmm. commandments and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. That's where the chapter ended. So the woman is the remnant. Her offspring is the church. Right. The dragon is Satan. That was laid out for us in verse 9. That's what the chapter that said. One. And then the child is Jesus. Right. That's what verse 5 said, because the inspired writer of Revelation, who is John, quotes a passage from Psalm chapter 2 that's a prophecy about the Messiah. So those are our characters here. Mm-hmm. Now, what is happening? Right. What is playing out in this drama? A remnant, the messianic line from Israel— who Satan tried to destroy even at the time of Christ's birth, Mm -hmm. right? As Jesus is being born, Herod is issuing a decree to kill all the male children aged two and under, but that remnant is preserved. That Mm -hmm. woman is protected. She's not destroyed, but she gives birth to this male child, to this promised deliverer, the Messiah, the Savior. Then the child, who is Jesus, the narrative said, is snatched up to God in his throne. Why? Because even death couldn't stop him. That's right. When he was crucified, he resurrected, and he's seated at God's right hand where he is right now, where he is reigning over his established kingdom on earth. He holds all power and all authority. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Mm-hmm. That's where Jesus went. That's how that child was snatched up to heaven yep. in this Revelation narrative. So triumphant over death now, Christ is seated in power, and Satan, what did the narrative say about him? Yes. He's been cast down. Mm -hmm. He is no longer in the presence of God, accusing mankind, Mm -hmm. like we read in the book of Job. We've talked about this on the podcast before. Satan comes to God in the book of Job, and and he says, there's no one righteous in all the earth. He is standing before God, accusing mankind, saying, Job doesn't really love you. Right. He just worships you for what what you can give him. Mm -hmm. Right? Satan is not in that place anymore. Right. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, not only reigning in power, but mediating on our behalf. Right. The accuser has been replaced with the mediator. That's right. But where is the accuser? Yeah. The accuser is now here. Satan has been cast down to the earth. And what that account just told us is, having been hurled to the earth, he pursues the woman, the remnant. He pursues her offspring, the church. And he is filled with rage. Yes. And he's enraged, Revelation says, because he knows his time is short. Right. The battle has already been won. He has already been defeated. Now, that's important because we started in Genesis chapter 11. With one people group with a common purpose and mm-hmm. a common language, using that language to rebel against God. Yes. Now, Jesus comes and he brings together a group of people and gives them the miraculous ability to speak in every language. Right. He synthesizes languages in that way for a common purpose. Yes. The spread of the gospel. But while he's doing this miraculous work, mm-hmm. Satan is ticked. Off. Right. And he is set on war. Right. So what does that mean for us and languages in his church today? Yeah. So what what does all of that that we just walked through in Revelation, even the reality of the life of Job, what does that have to do with our question? Yeah. What does it mean to speak in tongues? Well, we believe uh, every word that comes from the Lord. We believe that it is true if we walk with unity of purpose yeah. and clarity of communication that nothing will be impossible for us. Because we believe our role as the church, and we're talking about in the church, is purposed just the way it was when Jesus gave that great commission from Matthew 28, the same 
purpose when he handed out and he initiated these miraculous gifts in the first place on the day of Pentecost. It is to fulfill the commission to build the kingdom, right? They were establishing it. That was the purpose then. uh, And we seek that uh, same commission to go out and make disciples. And we are asking for unity and purpose and clarity and communication. But what does Satan, the red dragon, what does he have to do with any of that? Well, if we believe that we are uh, the, the offspring of the woman, the church, yes. then we have to recognize that the red dragon has been cast down in this raging war against us. And we believe that confusion now in our communication is his tactic. Yeah. It is uh, his old game. It's the same game he played in the third chapter of the first book. So um, everything that Satan does is counterfeit. It's a copycat that just falls short because he's not the creator, but he is a created thing. He can only copy plays from God's book. He can pervert them for his own evil purpose. Um, And God knows this, and he knows God. He stood in the presence of God, like we read from the book of Job. He knows the word of God. He used it against Jesus, the Messiah. And so he also knows that God has said, as if one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this when he went down to review and take a look at what the people at Babel there at Shinar had done. He says, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So the enemy knows that as well. And we should know that. I hope you can catch where we're going here. When Christ built his church, He reconciled those languages through that miraculous gift. That's where he initiated it with the unity of purpose and the unity of speech. Anything is possible. And we see this movement, as Tina called it before, being born out of being able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the facts that he has fulfilled from the Old Testament, now uh, in the new, being shared to all nations under heaven. So that fire being lit. But Satan is enraged and is still actively warring against Christ's church. And we believe one way that he does this is by confusing our languages. Something that God has taught me crystal clear in my walk with him is that the vocabulary words that I choose to use matter because it doesn't matter what Webster's dictionary, how it defines a word. Today, people, and maybe it's just been forever, People apply their experience to words. So I may say, I am saved, but that may mean something totally different to you listening or watching than it does to me because I'm I'm using that, I'm saying that with my life experience. So something that God has taught me very early um, on in my walk with him is that the words I choose are very important and they better be his words because if not, I'm, I will be planting confusion and not confidence in him. And I never want to be found guilty of that. Uh, so let's just pick back up. One thing that we uh, thought was interesting that was a warning then in the, in the New Testament in the life of Paul after the church has been born, um, right? We, we know Paul. We talk about him a lot on this podcast. He was handpicked by Jesus to be the apostle to the Gentiles, to all of those not born in the Jewish line, um, all of those being drafted and crafted in to this remnant of, of the woman. Paul writes to the church in Corinth a warning, and it ties to this miraculous gift of speaking in languages. Have you ever wondered what the Bible says about male and female roles in the church? Maybe you have felt unsure of how what the Bible says about this lines up with modern culture. Is it even applicable today? If you have felt this way, we encourage you to go to YouTube and search Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender. This is a special six-part series produced by Renew.org to help Christians navigate what the Bible says about this polarizing topic and how to apply these teachings in your context today. If you would like to listen to this series, go to your preferred podcast platform and search the Real Life Theology Podcast, and they're becoming available there as well. If you would like all this great content in book form, you can go to Amazon.com and look up Male and Female, A Biblical Look at Gender to purchase Renee Sproul's new book with all this great information in it. We just highly encourage you to check that out and grab a copy today as well and share this series with anybody who may be struggling with this topic, who wants more clarity about how to understand it, apply it, and follow King Jesus more clearly today. And he says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14 what the gifts are, but he warns about his concern of those gifts being used in a prideful way. So 
After Paul foretold the ending of these miraculous gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge, and declared the enduring nature of faith, hope, and love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he then goes in 14, he goes on to describe how and why the members of that church in Corinth should desire the gift of prophecy more than the gift of tongues. And let's just interject here. What is the gift of prophecy, right? We're, we're talking about tongues, what does it mean to speak in tongues? Yeah. But Paul warns in 1 Corinthians 14 to desire prophecy more than tongues. Mm-hmm. Well, we've defined prophecy on this podcast before, and we'll just revisit the scripture again, because like you said, meanings of words matter. Yes. And for the sake of this podcast, we want to get all of our meanings from the Bible. Yes. So 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So mm-hmm. when we talk about prophecy, mm-hmm. uh, like we're going to do here in 1 Corinthians 14, we're talking about people literally receiving and sharing the direct word of God. Right. They're not teaching. They're not preaching about the Bible mm-hmm. that has already been canonized in our day. This yes. is prior to that. Right. And so this is what was happening in the first century church. Right. That's how we have the Bible that we hold today. That's right. Is that they received this prophecy, this direct word from God. And if you want to learn more about that process, how we got from the the prophetic speech of yes. the first century church to the Bible that we can hold in our hands today, right. I would recommend you go back in season one of this podcast, listen to episode six, yep. which was an episode um, about the objection to scripture that it was written by man. Mm-hmm. And we do walk through that process there. Absolutely. But for the sake of this episode, as we compare the gift of tongues mm-hmm. to the gift of prophecy, while Paul makes the point that prophecy is to be desired more than tongues. We just want to make sure we're clear about what Scripture says prophecy even is. Yeah, and so in case this is the first time you're even hearing about Paul uh, sending this warning to a church, we're going to walk through uh, from the Bible what he says to the church at Corinth. Uh, But just so, uh, for the sake of the conversation, the reason it's relevant is because the first church needed a warning about this. Yeah. And we need a warning about this. We believe that the enemy is out to confuse our communication because he knows the same promise is true from God that when we are unified and we communicate the same language that nothing is impossible which is what he wants. We're our job is to get the bride ready. Yeah. He is ready to return. He's waiting on us. Yes. So the enemy's intent is to create confusion and cause damage in that. We need this same warning because we may be lending to his purpose yeah. uh, by our own folly and pride on accident because we've interpreted incorrectly or we haven't read the whole thing, right? Yeah. So uh for our context, we will go to what Paul says in the first letter he wrote to uh, the church in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Here he says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, which Tina just properly defined for us. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So 1 Corinthians is a letter to that church in the city of Corinth. And so we're just going to consider what Paul is actually saying here, because these vocabulary words are not common vocabulary words for us. In in short, this is Paul saying, that's great that you can talk in many languages and that's certainly um, a gift and a blessing from God. But what good is that? What good would it be for me to sit on this podcast and speak in Spanish the entire time and none of our listeners be Spanish-speaking listeners? Right. You don't understand me. No one listening understands me. So therefore, the only one glorified is me. No one is edified. No one is encouraged. No one is comforted. And that's what he says we are to do. But rather, if I were to prophesy 
in an understanding language, if I were to share the word of God, the living word of God, the final word of God from the Holy Scriptures in a language that you can understand, then I am edifying, encouraging, and bringing comfort. And that's what Paul is saying um, there. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 6 to 12. Let's read on. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues— What good will I be to you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? You see how he's he's using other vocabulary words to explain the same thing. Verse 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for the battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. So there Paul clarifies for all of us who may be, who may be confused or led to confusion, this unintelligible word with your tongue is languages that cannot be understood by those in our hearing without an interpreter. It's a trumpet, it's a sound, but we don't know which note it is, right? right? Um, I have no idea if Riley or my, if my daughter Madison plays the piano at my house and I say, play the key of D, she could hit any key on that keyboard, and I would never know any different. I would need an interpreter. Right. That's kind of what Paul is saying. But he's but he he finishes it by clarifying, verse ten. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. So he's not talking about random, unestablished languages. Right. Babbling. Right. He's talking about actual, identifiable, spoken languages, right. all uh, just like the day of Pentecost, nations from un, all nations from under heaven, yeah. all these languages under heaven. So just to pick up in verse 11, if then I do not grasp the, the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. At this point, If we have any doubt about the meaning of tongues, this gift of tongues, Paul clarified that there in verse 10 that we just talked through. He goes on, there are many languages in the world and all of them have meaning. And when I can't understand the meaning of a language, it's because the speaker and I are foreigners to one another. It would be the similar example of me speaking Spanish now and you have no idea what I'm saying, right? Paul goes on to say that we should desire more the gifts that build up the church, not the ones that build us up. That was the folly of the people at Babel. Right. They were wanting to build themselves up and use the language to to make an affront against God. Here, Paul gives the same warning to a church who has this miraculous gift to uh, be, to share the gospel with everyone in the world, and he gives them the same warning later in this in this same letter 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 18 and 19 he says i thank god that i speak in tongues more than all of you but in the church i would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue so for even more clarity paul the one handpicked by jesus says you know what? I am so grateful for the gift that Jesus has given me to take the gospel to all the Gentiles, to be able to share to all these different people groups. I can speak these languages. Paul was a pretty bright guy, gifted by the Holy Spirit. But he says, you know what? In your hearing, I would rather speak five words that you understand in your language than 10,000 words that you didn't understand. So just for clarity... Paul uh, was was commissioned by Jesus for that specific purpose. But in the church, in our local assembly, we want to seek after gifts that will build up the church rather than ones that will puff us up. And Paul made that very clear. And, and Tina, you're going to walk us through some more clarity of that that day of uh, of examples of tongues being used, uh, found in the New Testament sure. for more clarity on what this is and what we should be seeking after. Right. So when a common language was used pridefully to glorify self, 
God took it away. Mm -hmm. He confused the language. When people were ready and available and unified to use their words to glorify him and to spread the gospel, he gives this miraculous gift. But who did he give it to? Yeah, He gave it to first the Jews on the day of Pentecost so that they could share the gospel with other Jews and converts to Judaism from these other nations, not from the area of Galilee where Jesus' ministry Mm -hmm. had taken place. Mm -hmm. So they spoke different languages, but they needed to hear that truth too. And so Paul, here in the same chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, makes it very evident who the gift is for. He says in verse 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, mm-hmm. but for unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Right. So the gift of speaking in tongues, this miraculous spiritual gift, mm-hmm. was for unbelievers because its purpose was to take the gospel into new territory. Yes. If this gift were still alive and active today, it would be worthless for me to stand in our local assembly in yes. Conway, South Carolina, and speak in Swahili. Right. If I were on a mission trip to Nairobi, Kenya, where we've been with our missions team, and I began to speak in Swahili, it would be beneficial there for me to share the gospel with people there who didn't have the gospel. The difference is the prophecy, the Word of God, has been translated into Swahili. Mm -hmm. The gospel has gone out to the ends of the earth. That had happened in the book of Acts. That's, That's the record of that happening is the whole book of Acts. And so in that book, that's where we find the only examples mm-hmm. of the only narratives about this gift being poured out and used. Yes. And it happens three times in the book of Acts. And so we want to briefly just look at those three instances. Mm-hmm. The first we've already talked about was on the day of Pentecost. Yes. We read earlier Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. That was the first time because these 120 believers That's alongside right. the 12 apostles are given this miraculous pouring out of the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak the gospel in languages that 15 different named nations yes. can recognize and understand. So that's the first time. The second time we find this happening in Scripture and in the book of Acts specifically is in Acts chapter 10. And we'll just read verses 42 through 46. This is the account of the apostle Peter at the home of a Gentile named Cornelius. Mm-hmm. Peter says of God, He commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Mm -hmm. While Paul was still speaking these words, now he's speaking these words to Gentiles, not to the family of the Jews. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So speaking in glossa here, languages. Right. All right, that's the second account. Now let's read the third. This is Paul in Ephesus. It's in Acts 19. We're going to read 1 through 6. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Mm -hmm. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, right? Because we learned in Acts chapter 8, the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit were given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. Right. So verse 6, when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So in these three accounts, here's what we find. What's the deal with speaking in tongues? Yeah. We find that this miraculous spiritual gift was evidence of the reception of the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. and in each case, the context. Why was there a need for evidence of the receiving of the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. It's because in all three cases, and this is all the cases Mm -hmm. of this in the whole book of Acts, the the movement of the gospel is going to a new people group. Right. That's the key. In Acts chapter 2, The gospel is first being received by the Jews. Mm -hmm. In Acts chapter 10, the gospel is first being received by the Gentiles. Right. And in Acts chapter 19, the gospel is being received by the disciples of John. Right. So there is, number one, a need for people to communicate multilingually to reach a new people group. Mm -hmm. And number two, 
there's a need to overcome the false idea that the gospel was only for the circumcised Jews of Israel's lineage. Mm -hmm. And so God gives that evidence through allowing a manifestation of miraculous spiritual gifts in these new people groups. And by contrast, there's no question about that today. Right. Gentiles, we Mm -hmm. have received the gospel and we have had that door open to us now for millennia. Right. And we don't need... um, a miraculous sign mm-hmm. that the work of Christ has been completed and it has been extended to all of his creation. Right. So Tina, I want to recall an example that you gave that I think is super important uh, to the why of what why we're talking through this topic today. The example you gave about the word of God being available in all languages yeah. for millennia, our intent is not to combat the modern day expression of speaking in tongues. But it is to present scripture that does stand in opposition to how this is exercised today. If we walk into a church and Paul gives an example in the same letter that we've been reading through from the same chapter, and we're going to hit verse 23. If I walked into a church today that was speaking in a language I could not interpret or even understand and no interpreter could interpret it for me, I'm going to think that they are out of their mind. Right. And that's not a new thought. Paul actually said that to the church in Corinth, that he expressed his concerns that we just walked through in this same topic of speaking in tongue. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and then inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Yes, they would. And I would do the same thing. Now, I believe that If I were going on a mission trip to Guatemala and I was going to spend six months studying uh, the native language there, I believe that if I prayed and asked God to help me understand so that I might communicate clearly Mm -hmm. for this same purpose, for the purpose of unity Mm -hmm. and clear communication, I believe that God would help me with that. And I want to, I don't want to interrupt you, but let me just interject here that an important truth is that all denominations, Mm -hmm. as far as I know, even those that practice speaking in tongues, but in in a manifestation that is not what is described in Scripture. Unintelligible, right? as Paul called it. All of them train their missionaries for the field with linguistic training in the native tongue being spoken Mm -hmm. by the people group they're going to. Mm -hmm. So so even, uh, even denominations and traditions that would affirm that the miraculous gift of speaking in tongues is a modern thing for us today, their missionaries are still training for the field by studying the language of the people group they're going to see. That's the distinction I want to make. Yeah. I believe that God can give us that. Yeah. He can give us wisdom and knowledge sure. and open our minds to receive worldly knowledge, yes. right? And that's what that is. That's what a language is. We have to study English. We would have to study Spanish to go to Guatemala. We would have to invest our minds into that. And God can certainly, the Holy Spirit can certainly help us with that. But that's not what this was. This gift on the day of Pentecost was Peter or Peter in the house of Cornelius had never spoken that, had never studied that language, had never been instructed in that language, right. but turned it on right. and shared the message of Jesus in that language. Yes. That's not what we see exercised today in modern right. Christianity. And so while our intent is not to combat that, because we recognize traditions in someone's life can be a very intimate piece to their relationship with Jesus. So we're not attacking that, but we do hope that you will, everyone listening or watching can can follow along and see the contrast. And just before we ended, I thought we would just clearly define the differences in that. So when we say speaking in tongues, we're saying immediately speaking a language we've never opened a book to study or heard someone instruct us how to speak with the purpose of sharing the gospel. What we see exercised today is more like what Paul says and warns against in verse 23 of this letter. It looks more like 
unintelligible words that no interpreter can interpret that does not edify the body, that does not share the gospel of Jesus, so it is not purposed by God. It looks more like the confusion at Babel. Well, and and the confusion that was a result of pride. Sure. And I think that's that is is a hard truth. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I hope if you're listening you won't uh receive that in offense or yeah. as combative, right. but with a humble heart that just wants to hear what the scripture says. Paul's whole warning here mm-hmm. is about not using spiritual gifts in a way that glorifies self, mm-hmm. but in a way that edifies the church body. Right. And and the church body is edified by the word of God. That's right. And and by the language that Paul says endures to the end. That's right. And that's where we're going to tie this bow. So after tongues, these this sign as a, a miraculous sign of the Holy Spirit, Paul says um, they are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. That's another huge contrast to how we see this exercised today. Today, we see it exercised as a sign of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit as a believer. Then we saw it as a sign of someone going to carry the message to an unbeliever. It was purposed rather than uh, being a product. Right. Right. And so it was less about the person and more about the person on the other end of its hearing. So even if the Holy Spirit still decides to use this gift today, it's not needed in the church assembly. And that's probably the hardest statement we've made on this episode so far. So I'll echo it one more time. Even if the Holy Spirit decided to use this gift of speaking in tongues, this miraculous ability to speak in another language that you were not first trained for, uh, he can do that, but it's not needed uh, today. Rather, the gift that is needed is the gift uh, or the language that is needed is the language of love that Paul says, though all of these things were here, the, th- the things that remain yeah. are faith, hope, and love. And what we believe that the Bible presents is if we are intent on being unified in purpose and clear in our communication yes. for the expansion of the kingdom of King Jesus, then our language must be love. Yeah. It doesn't have pride. It's full of humility. Its intent is to be purposed with the gospel message. Yeah. It has to be clear. It has to be understanding. Yeah. And it has to be meant for the edifying of the body. That is more like prophecy, the word of God being yeah. shared and being able to be an understood um, to its here. So a tool and a resource that we would encourage you to pick up as you walk this out, uh, this uh, this attempt to walk out the language of love, as Paul calls it, to unite with purpose and to have clear communication as we share the gospel is the, the backbone of this podcast, Tina's book, Step Into Scripture, where all of this content is found and all of these uh, patterns are tied together for us so that we can understand it and share it with those around us in a way that they can understand, in a way that they can get behind being unified in purpose with clear communication to expand the, the, the kingdom of Jesus. So again, we hope that you enjoyed uh, following along with us as we step through scripture to unpack uh, the sometimes cultural, uh, misleading or mystical topic of speaking in tongues. But as we walk through today, it's not mystical, it's not magical, but it is miraculous and it was intended and purposed. And we uh, appreciate you guys following along with us. We'll see you next week.